0: My name is Caspar Walsh. Um, I'm an author and a journalist, and I set up a charity which, uh, which is an, well, an award winning charity now um, in 2009 called Right to Freedom. It's about W R I T E. And um, what that's about is it's, it's a project that's come out of my experience of um, nature, my experience of writing, and really around rehabilitation from, from crime and from drugs. alcohol and generally a pretty dysfunctional upbringing. um, Through a really organic process over many years Um, I knew that nature was a really really important part of my support structure it was that unspoken thing that was beyond therapy beyond speaking therapy um, and writing and journaling and getting things out of me and getting them on the page Um, and then this other piece around community and I was involved with different groups like a men's group and a um, recovery group for alcoholism and drug addiction, and really saw the benefit of that. So I had these three things, which was nature, writing, and community. And they came from different angles. Um, So I was doing a lot of voluntary work, working with young men, um, supporting them in getting through difficult times as teenagers and becoming young adults and young men. Um, And I'd been writing professionally for many years... And I'd been in these groups and different things came and then I just sort of had a an aha moment where I thought, actually, maybe I can just bring these together mm-hmm. to create something that was really unique to me in terms of my own life journey um, and possibly could help and offer something to other people. And when that came together, it was like a, I was trying to think of an image, but um, it was sort of like a... A, like a, a Tetris block or something, things coming into place, sort of clunking in.
1: Like um, Channel 4. Um,
0: yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's kind of the image I was thinking of. That sort of thing, it's all sort of like, what's all this going on? And then it goes clunk, and it moves in, it's like, okay. And it was really interesting because that, that thing of, you know, not chasing shadows or chasing things that aren't there or that, you know, that I think I want and need, but maybe the answer not so good for me, that this fell into place really quickly. Mm-hmm.
1: And in your book, Criminal, that, that tells the story of your, of your childhood and growing up and so on, and a very, as you said, very dysfunctional kind of childhood, what was the, what was there access to nature, in that it was based in London, as I remember, <coughs> was there, what role did nature play in your childhood, and how, how did you experience the, the absence of it, I suppose, or not? Um...
0: Well, I mean London, I mean I grew up in London but I also went to schools in the country so I had a very fractured um, financial upbringing in terms of money for boarding school, no money so then you know, I, was in the board. I went to a school called Summerhill which was very much in the countryside so I had a really strong connection to nature there and then I would come back to the city in the holidays um, and London is full of parks and so I was sniffing out trees at any opportunity so in any of the parks I'd be straight up a tree and I'd, I'd often sit in it and I found that it was a place that I could. You know, I wasn't having to deal with any adults or any of the stuff that was going on around me, and it wasn't a conscious thought. It's only on reflection that I realised what I was doing. It wasn't like I need to go up a tree because I'm feeling stressed. It just I'd just go up a tree like a monkey, and then I'd sit up there and I'd feel peaceful. And I just have lots of memories of being in the boughs of trees and things. You know, the trees just moving around in the wind and just looking out and looking at people who didn't know that I was looking at them. And um, so there was a real mix with what I call concrete and chlorophyll so I had kind of had my, my green fix in the country and then I'd be like in London and then when I was in London and it got too much I would scoot off to a park or to a garden or somewhere mm. where I could get some solace
1: and a lot of the work that you do now is working particularly with young men what, what do you observe in, in a lot of particularly very urban young men in the culture that they grow up in now and what the relationship they have with nature is in that culture
0: um, well, what we do as part of our assessment process, we usually go into prisons or probation or the youth funding teams, and we have a, um, a an interview and a written assessment. One of the questions on that is, "What's your experience of nature?" You know, what you know, and some of them will say, "Well, nothing. I've never been inside." But then you realise that they've been in parks. They used to hang out in parks. There's there's some kind of a connection. They may not have necessarily. Um, been drawn to it or felt that it was a real need but they, they knew they had that thing and there would usually be a camping trip story or something, they went off with a the, with the school in terms of them coming on the courses that we run up on Dartmoor and on the coast down in South Devon uh, with the, particularly the Dartmoor ones it's really interesting because they come a lot of them come from a prison they get released on licence so they leave this, this very municipal environment of the prison I think that's the right word just a very concrete driven environment and they get on the motorway, they're on the M5, and then they're on the A38, and then they come off at Malton, and then they're kind of down a country road. And it's a progression of, of dropping into the countryside, and then you end up with these big walls covered in moss and trees overhanging, and then into this site we use um, up at Heathercombe. And generally what they say is they feel like they're in a horror movie. So their, their experience of that kind of nature... Of you know non the non-urban park type nature is that th- this is what they've seen in movies that you end up there's a werewolf somewhere or you're going to get eaten, um, and in terms of the impact on them, um, it's it's profound. I mean they, you know they come into that space quite shaken up and a bit wide-eyed, and half of what I do with them or or I should say don't do is just let nature run its course and it and it she it whatever it is
1: works on them and then softens them up and. So I don't have to do all the work. So the Blair Witch Project had probably a, a worse impact on our generation's understanding of and immersion in nature than anything else. I like
0: think. That. Well, yeah. I think the Blair Witch probably had a, had an impact on me for a while. Actually, I got I was worried about going into woods and things and seeing things hanging in trees. But I think the Blair Witch Project is the is the Jaws of the Nazis. You know, in terms of the, the land-based Jaws and how the impact it have on us. So yeah, they do. But then we one of the other things that we we work with them on is that a lot of it is around tracking and connecting to nature and opening the senses to nature. So we work with them and, and allow them to use their experience of... Um, something very big scuffling around down there. <laughs> um, um, we use their experience of, of what it is to be um, on alert and in intuition in an urban environment in terms of being hunted. So mm. there's this big thing around hunting, and they are generally predated upon either by pimps or bigger dealers or rival gangs you know they are literally being hunted on the streets, so we allow them to engage in that energy and to think, well okay, so this is you're in an, you're in an environment, so you know connect to those senses and then you 'll be able to tune into this environment and it and it works every time
1: and what 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 is that 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 kind of that that urban experience of of being hunted but not of a sort of if your, if your experience of nature is that it's, that it's scary and that it's dangerous and that you're actually safer among bricks and concrete and, and Xboxes and, and the streets, what does that do to people? In nature... Well, what, no, what, what does it do to, like, how does it change how they develop? What does it do to young men who grow up with that being their, their, their view mm. of the world?
0: Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a world, it's based on the world being a threatening place to live. So, you know, we're putting them in a, in a natural environment that they feel threatened by. And the, the process that we are um, inviting them to step into is seeing that nature is a resource and is an ally to them. And that's, that's not something that just happens by us sitting down and saying, it's an ally to you and, oh, well, great, everything's fine. <clears throat> they generally have to have at least a weekend with us to actually come to the end of the weekend and go. Actually, you know what? I feel quite good in this space, and it's all right. And we we don't have any apex predators protecting. We've got things that can kill us in this country, but and interestingly, their their relationship to insects and to bugs and stuff is that they, you know, these these big heavy duty gangsters that wield blades and guns and things. You know, they're kind of literally sort of jumping into people's laps when they see a wasp or a spider <laughs> or something. Um, so they, it, it has an impact on them because it, that's, it's like growing up in a war zone. I mean, that was my experience. Was, you know, they, it was like growing up in a war zone. So that's my, that was my view on the world. It's like I'm under threat constantly, so I have to look and check and see what's going on. Like I sit opposite you and you seem like a nice guy, but you could turn at any minute. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of constantly tuning in thinking, is this going to kick off? So it is, it is very much about changing that relationship. So that nature becomes, as I said, becomes an ally and a friend, and somewhere they you know, they can go to and trust.
1: And then, what what kind of impacts do you see that it has on them? Then that that kind of nat- nature immersion, like when they are there, any kind of stories of people who've who've kind of been through that experience and and, and how the kind of impact it's had.
0: Well, I mean, it, it's it's that thing of the difference between empirical and anecdotal evidence, and it's all anecdotal as far as I'm concerned. When we're working on building an evidence base to kind of say, you know, this really works. I mean the first the first impact that I see is is that there's a real softening. You know, at the end of the weekend you can see that there there has been a holding or a tightness or an aggression or a fear basically on their face. And that really softens and, and really eases up. And, you know, I've I'm in touch with I'm still in touch with two of the lads from the first weekend in two thousand and eight that we ran on Dartmoor. Um sporadic contact, but they're there. Um and, there's, and they, they've had a... The fact that they're still in touch and that they communicate with me through Facebook or through text messages says that there was an impact for them. There's a guy who lives in um, Portsmouth who said that it was a, you know, a life-changing experience for him. And, I mean, I'm very wary about how much somebody might big up their experience because it's a very... Um, it's a heightened experience for them. And anyone who would say, ''This thing has changed my life.'' It's like, ''Well, OK, if you think that, that's great.'' But I suspect there are other things at play. So what we do is not. And I say this to, to kind of bodies and funders and organisations: is we're not the holy grail, nor will, nor will we ever be. And even if an individual says this is the thing that turned their life around, it's like great, I'm really happy. But you've got to have all these other things supporting you as well mm. in the community.
1: And that, and as the uh, all the debates around kind of education and, and, and the education becomes more and more focused on results and uh, and all of that kind of stuff and particularly young men seem to be the young men who aren't academically gifted just seem to be sort of failed by that horribly what would be a kind of um, your sense of how we could bring some of the learnings from that and from more exposure with nature and bringing that more into our education system what would that look like
0: well i think um you know that this interesting kind of you know not academically bright or or seen as intelligent is is that that's based on the framework of the of the the teaching system that we have in this country at the moment um which is primarily whiteboard learning um it's downloading information and there are people, you know, a lot of people who are predisposed to that. I don't know what the learning style is for that. Um, but the learning, the learning styles that I work with are kinesthetic learners, which is primarily hands-based learning. And so you, you have those individuals who really respond to the whiteboard downloading process and they'll end up in university and they love a lecture and they love all this information. I never had a thing for that. You know, I always struggled with it you know, because I needed my body needed to move. Uh, And I think that in terms of what would we do is is that we would have to kind of either look at a a binary split in the education system between the kinesthetic learning and the non-kinesthetic learning and then identify and assess those individuals and then stream them to those two individual places or we have a way that we can bring both in and we can say actually sometimes you do need to be sitting in a classroom so with the teaching that we do on the weekends we keep the the classroom based teaching to an absolute minimum. I try and stay away. There is a whiteboard in the, in the centre that we work in. I try and stay away from it, or I'll just literally put some bullet points on the board and then talk to that, and then say, and so that they can see what I'm talking about. So I think that there's a there's a re- it's, I'm amazed, it's almost like a medieval, that the, the lack of um, common sense, intelligence, understanding, empathy from the systems that deliver the education you know that you know that they so many people know that you know dyslexia is a major uh, way to disengage from the education system that then they're then seen as troubled kids they get excluded they get into a bit of trouble that becomes more trouble they end up in prison and i've worked with loads of young men and you can just track that process you know from being dyslexic and not really being into school to being ending up in prison under a major sentence for a really heavy duty crime mm-hmm. so um And for me, that was a real revelation, because I've, you know, understanding... That's the train, the Dartington train. Um, Understanding that I'm dyslexic, and, you know, I grew up, this this thing about not being academically bright. I I got to the age of 29, 30, before I actually fully acknowledged that I was intelligent. And, um, And the truth is, is that the guys that I work with, the young men they're all very very bright they're just not bright necessarily by other people's standards mm-hmm. so it's our job to find out where that is and one of the things we do is we have this thing where we say what's your genius you know that everybody has a genius um, that it's not you know to the kind of exclusive to Einstein or um, Stanley Kubrick or whatever it's, it's it's an individual thing and it's our job to help discover that identify it and tell them that and then let them grow into a belief mm-hmm. of that.
1: Mm-hmm. So just to go back to the the thing with um you know when when young men grow up isolated from nature, what does that do to them though what does it do what What does it do to us when all we ever see is screens and buses and streets, and we never experience the wild. I remember talking to Martin Shaw the work that he does with young men taking people up to Snowdonia and stuff, and he was saying, you know when you make a shelter in the woods. And, you know, you have some huge, hulky gang leader from from Lambeth out in the middle of the forest in the dark, crying like a baby because he's never seen dark before. You know, Mm. I mean, actually, when we grow up, when we have no experience of that, what does it it do to us? What what bits of our psyche or the way we work in the world are damaged or influenced by that?
0: Um... Well, I think it does a lot of things to us. I mean, you know, the first response is, is that it. I think it, it makes me ill. I mean, I used to, uh, when I lived in Bristol, um, I'd come back after a weekend in the country and people would say, you know, you've got colour in your cheeks and, you know, you see guys coming out of prison and they're looking really pale and quite freaked out, understandably, because they're in a prison environment and they're locked away. Um, I think it creates a disconnect and I think there can be a um, uh, a sort of predisposition to... To panic at that disconnect, to say that um, that there's something that's broken in that individual, and our thing as well as is, is that there's nothing actually wrong with any of them that we're working with. It's you know what's wrong is what's going on within the system and yeah. the, um, and, and what the opportunities that they've had, and that you it's the the speed with which they reconnect, at not necessarily a conscious level but an unconscious level that actually they physically the blood starts to 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 rise into their cheeks. We had a, a guy recently. We were running a project with the Torbay Youth funding Team, and a guy. You know, they were in group situations, which I don't really favour anymore. I mean, I just want to get them outside as quickly as possible because that's where they want to be. That's my experience. That was what I see in front of me. This kid was really disengaged in the sessions and irritating, and you know, I found really difficult to work with. And we got him out into a wood, and another guy, another friend of his, for the day, and he just became like an animal. You know, I mean, I don't mean that in <laughs> in terms of, you know, immediate... Dis- it's interesting, isn't it? It became like an animal. Oh, what does that mean? It was just kind of like tearing something up and ripping things apart. It's like, no, he was, he was immediately in tune with the environment. I mean, he had had some you know, connection to nature. So in terms of what it does to them, I think it, it creates a disconnect, but for us not to be afraid or to think that we've got some massive onerous task in order to help them reconnect. Mm-hmm. That as human beings, we are... Our neural pathways and our senses and our sensory awareness crackles to life kind of like static electricity when we're put into a natural environment very, very quickly. It's like, you know, you can't really destroy the soul of a man or a woman, you know, that I don't think you can really take that away. But in response to your thing around the games, that, I mean, I've been thinking about this quite a lot because I spent a lot of time in front of computers as a kid, and a lot of time in front of television, and also spent a lot of time outdoors, and I wonder whether there's a bit of moral panic around that. You know, it's kind of like, this is what teenagers do. I think there is a problem. I think it is more intense than it was when I was younger. Um, but I think it's a it's a process and it sort of, you know, yes, encourage them to get out. I mean, there was this Facebook photograph that I saw, which was a picture of a forest and just said the original PlayStation. And I think it's great to be in the forest. And I think that there are advantages. And there's a really good TED talk by a woman, I can't remember her name, Bree, somebody, about... The advantages of gameplay, of of console gameplay, but everything like everything needs a balance.
1: Mm-hmm. And and you mentioned prison before. I mean, is prison? I mean, obviously you can't. You know, prison. Prison is by definition, I guess, the ultimate sort of uh, nature deprivation um, experience. You know, you're indoors twenty three hours a day or whatever it is. And c- could you? Could you imagine a prison system that brings nature more into what it is and how it works?
0: Yeah, I could, and I and I see it. I mean, um, the, the young offender institution that I work with was starting it. I mean, one of the things we were doing with Right Freedom was we were looking at creating a programme where we could bring the wilderness experience into the prison. And, there you know, there, obviously there are restrictions on what you can do, but we were looking at creating a fire, you know, where they could sit around a campfire and they would have tents and things. And it was a nice idea, but it didn't actually work. I mean, they have they have, often have gardens in prisons they're quite sort of council looking municipal looking gardens they sort of nice little ranges of chrysanthemums and begonias and things but there is a connection for them um, Park Prison that I work with which is a young offender and an adult prison they have an increasingly extensive um, uh, flower arranging and I think they grow vegetables as well there was a project in America which, um, I can't remember the name of the prison but they, were, they had a major growing project food growing project in the prison which ended up supplying food to the local community and it provided a lifeline of massive um, levels of rehabilitation for the offenders and reconnection mm-hmm. to the community because originally they were saying we don't want vegetables grown in prisoners mm. as if they are going to be infected in some way and then they were eating them and then they were like oh, actually this is really good and then they kind of went into the prison so I think that... Um, there's a thing within prison where, I mean, I, I'm, my take with, with the prison system is, is that it's a necessary um, place for some people. The, the majority of people don't need to be in prison, but some do for their own safety and the safety of the public. So to some extent there needs to be not a total removal, but a sense of this is a stark environment and I don't want to be in here. Mm. Um, I don't mean turning prisons into medieval dungeons that people you know, are sort of dying and are terrified of. They have to have humanity within them. Mm. So I think there's a balance, and I think giving them a taste of nature, giving them, a, you know, a, a connection with it, is mm. is important. And it happens. Um, I haven't been into all the prisons in the UK. There's a um, there's a prison in Suffolk which has a um, bird of prey centre in the prison. So they have buzzards, hawks, um, eagles, and the prisoners, the young prisoners, work with these animals in that mm. in a prison environment.
1: Mm. Fantastic, thank you. Any last thoughts? Just on the why it's important to make space for nature in what
0: we do i i mean for me there's a there's a um there's a phrase that i've started using which is i mean it's not a new one necessarily but that's I mean, I suppose within the gaia theory that that nature and well what we do in much right freedom but you know specifically in this context in nature is that it's a life support system i mean obviously it provides us with the oxygen that we breathe but i do think that there is a disconnect i think you know the growing cities and I, my sister doesn't spend much time in nature at all and i think the more you're away from it the easier it might seem and you kind of that sense of not really understanding that something's missing or that i'm not fully myself or not in, in great health but because it happens over time it can like looking at yourself in the mirror and not really noticing your aging until mm-hmm. you see a photo of you 15 years ago that i think there can be an incremental um, detriment but as i said before that get them out um and but there are lots of parks and there's a real passion for parks and you know you know when the sun comes out people want to get to the water into the to the mm-hmm. sea mm-hmm. um so it's absolutely central to what we do uh, and actually in terms of the you know when i tell people what right to freedom does is that we offer wilderness and writing activities and so wilderness comes first mm-hmm. and then the writing is a way to express the experiences that come up within that how we feel about that mm-hmm. um and I think the, probably the last thing i say is that, yes, I believe we're damaging the planet and I think we're losing species and animals and plants. Um, I have, but I have no um, doubt that when nature really has had enough of this part of her, which is us and what we're doing, we'll, we'll go and something else and, and it, will, it will regenerate. It may take a couple hundred thousand years or whatever, but um, I don't think we're so powerful that we would wipe out nature, but I think we're powerful enough to wipe ourselves out. Mm.